0: happy sabbath can you hear me okay we'll give some time to the mic people there you go thank you so much uh Weimar college for that beautiful musical selection it really really uh, touched my heart I almost i was almost moved to tears i've actually been a part of a choir that has uh, sung that that last song before but i've never heard it sang like 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 it was sung this morning amen I, um, it's a little bit difficult to speak to you this morning because when you only give a person an opportunity to speak once, it's hard to decide which message you're going to present. I actually have about five messages in mind that I want to present. And the reason why I'm hesitating a little bit to, to speak to you is because I'm not sure which one I'm going to share with you. You know, at these, uh, at these meetings it's easy for us to receive some sort of inspiration that would carry us for some short amount of time but at the same time we have to realize that this will never happen again the same group of people that you see here today you'll never see them in this kind of setting all together ever again and so it is with heavy burden i'm sure on each of the the, the planners of dunamis they're telling me to put this up a little more. Is this better? A little bit. How about now? Now. Better. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's uh, let's bow our heads forward to prayer before we open God's word. Father in heaven, we invite to you, we invite you to be with us at this time. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you would break down our hearts. That you would break down our hearts in such a way that the Holy Spirit would be able to dwell with us. And Father, we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would be our instructor today. And that the words that we hear from your word will not be words that would be easily forgotten after 20, 30 minutes, but would be words that would so become a part of us that our lives would be transformed to that of Christ. Be with us today as we learned what faith really is and why it's important to finish the race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to bring you greetings, first of all, from Campus Hope Church at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where it represents about five different universities in the state of Michigan and another... 11 nation and worldwide as a matter of fact you might not know that we're letting you borrow some of our friends some of our graduates from there one of them is Dr. Waterbrook here I've I've uh, been looking at some of the you know the flyers and 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 the the videos and the multimedia presentations that you guys have and I've come to the conclusion that you have too much talent here in Loma Linda we let you borrow some of our some of our best and it's time for you to give us some back so I want to make a little advertisement. Those of you talented people who put this together, please come to Michigan. We have a good medical school there too. <laughs> I also want to th- uh, thank the Iona team uh, for the invitation. Um, I've been very, very impressed by 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 what you've put together, and and I know I know that um, God has really blessed your efforts. And you know, we need a generation of young people who will not only strive for spiritual excellence, but who will also strive for professional excellence. It's time for Christians to step up to the plate and show the world that just because we are godly does not mean that we are dumb. And so I'm very, very happy to see that you guys are also striving for spiritual and for professional excellence in all that you do. Hebrews chapter 12 is a difficult text to speak on for this reason. I've been asked to speak on a part of Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it's verse 2. But the difficult thing about this text is that, if anything, almost more than any other text, it's hard to break this this passage apart, these three verses, four verses apart. They are so intimately connected with each other that in order to understand one part, we must understand the entire text. And so... What I want to do this morning, rather than giving a sermon, I want to have a brief Bible study with you. The problem with sermons is that a lot of times the congregation expects a speaker to do the thinking for them. And so I want, to ask, I want to ask, if I may, you're an intelligent crowd, I want to ask us to put our thinking caps on. I'm going to say a lot of things that you're going to need to go back home and process over. And I'm also going to give you a little homework assignment. I'm going to talk about Hebrews chapter 12, but I'm not going to focus a lot on this text. And so your homework assignment is going to be, perhaps as you're eating lunch, or throughout the week, throughout the month, personal reflection when you go back to your dorm, your personal homework assignment is going to be to see how my message actually connects to the text, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Is that fair enough for everyone? Hebrews chapter 12, metaphorically, contrasts or, or, or relates something in the Christian experience to a race. What is that aspect of our Christian experience that Paul is likening unto a race? Does anyone know? What is it in our Christian experience that Hebrews chapter 12 when Paul says that we are to run the race, he's metaphorically speaking, right? He doesn't say you know, Israel put on some some sneakers and, and run. What is he more? What what is he likening unto this race that we are to run? I can't hear you. Living our lives. Anything else? Any other comments? Say that again. Character perfection. Someone says. Anything else? Getting ready for the end? Anything else? Becoming like Christ? The life of faith? I guess all of these are right answers. There's no really wrong answer unless you, you know well there is, but not really. But if I could suggest to you, I believe that Hebrews chapter 12, Paul is speaking, when Paul is talking about running a race, he is talking about running the race of faith. Faith... May I suggest to you that faith is the only way to attain character perfection. Faith is the only way to being like Jesus. Faith is the only way to experience Christianity. And so when Paul is talking about faith, I mean, when, ta- when Paul is talking about running the race, he is talking about running the race of faith. Let me ask you another question. What is faith? What is faith? Okay, someone says that there's a substance of things hoped for, and the complete definition is the evidence of things not seen. You know, a lot of times people philosophize over Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, and we, we make faith something out there that we can't really reach. But practically speaking, what is faith? Okay, why don't we raise our hands? Yes. Okay, trusting God and believing that what God says He will do. Anything else? Yes. Belief without reservation. Belief without reservation. Anything else? What is faith? You know, a lot of times, it's, we take for granted what faith really is. Some people say, I have faith in a doctor. And so faith in that way is trusting in someone or something. Others say, keep the faith. And so faith is a certain conviction that we hold. Some will say, I am of the Seventh-day Adventist faith, and faith is a system of religion to which we assign ourselves to as members. And we really don't have a practical understanding of what faith really is. Let me ask you one more question before we begin our message. Who would you characterize as a person who had high faith and why? When you think of faith who is the first person that comes to your mind and why? Why did this person have a lot of faith? Yes. Daniel, why? How did he exhibit that faith? Okay, so sister says here that Daniel is a person who exercised faith because time and time again whenever he experienced something he, over, he, he, he stood fast any other people yes Noah why Noah okay Noah preached that it was going to rain for 120 years and it never rained before Noah is a man of faith any other people men and women of faith Abraham Abraham is the father of faith why he just went even though he didn't know what was ahead of him anyone else Esther We finally have a lady. Why Esther? We have a lady, but we don't know why Esther had faith. Esther, I want to suggest to you someone that I would consider as, perhaps, in human eyes, one of the most faithful, if not the most faithful human that ever walked on this earth. We normally think about Father Abraham as the father of faith. But I want to suggest to you that Enoch, was humanly speaking in my opinion the father of our faith let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 let me tell you why Hebrews chapter 11 is actually the definition of what faith is and the first thing that we need to understand about faith is that faith is an experience faith is an experience We talk about faith as a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I want to believe that Paul almost knew and foresaw that we would be philosophizing over what faith really is through this text, coming up with different definitions. You know, you read lessons on faith depending upon the Word of God and doing what the Word of God says no matter what. And so what Paul is doing here is he says, look, I know you're not really going to be able to fully understand the definition of what faith really is. So let me give you some examples. And so what Paul begins to do is he talks about the experiences of faithful men and women. And through these experiences he, pull, he points a spiritual lesson that you and I can learn. And so he does this with Noah and he says Noah preached for 120 years that there would be rain. By faith Noah moved with fear and he prepared an ark. He's talking about the experience of Noah. He also talks about the experience of Abel and he says by faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And then he begins to talk about Enoch. Look, at me, look with me in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. And remember, in every other situation, he describes the experience of a person and then he uses that experience to point a spiritual lesson. Enoch is not an exception. He says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. You'll be surprised that although the Bible does not write a lot, although there's not a lot of written stuff about Enoch, there's a lot that is said in this verse. You see, what Paul is talking about here, he is talking about the experience of faith. And normally we stop with verse 5, but he continues on in verse 6 and he says, "...but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him." This is also describing, if I may suggest to you, this is also describing the experience of Enoch. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, he says, that Enoch, what? Pleased God. Isn't that right? And then in verse 6, he says, but without faith it is impossible to what? To please God. In other words, Enoch pleased God because why? Because Enoch had faith. Faith is what pleases God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Therefore... It is only faith or it is faith that pleases God. Enoch possessed a certain amount of faith that pleased God so much that, it, that God pulled Enoch out of this earth and took him into heaven. Now, he says this is what faith is or this is what faith produces. Without faith it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to him must believe that he is one and that he is also the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, Enoch, and I believe this is talking about the experience of Enoch, Enoch believed that God was, and Enoch believed that God was the rewarder of them who diligently sought him. And this kind of faith was the faith that translated Enoch from this earth to the heavenly earth in which he will live forever and ever. Now, everyone knows, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know, that he who lives godly will suffer persecution. When Jesus was on this earth, he suffered persecution because of his faith in God. He lived a, he lived a godly life and, and that godly life caused him to suffer. Now if Enoch is a representation of those who will, who will never experience death because of their faithfulness to God, Enoch had to, from a humanly speaking perspective, up to this time... He he has to have experienced godliness to its highest level. Amen? Do you see what I'm trying to say here? Enoch Enoch is a representation of those who will be translated without seeing death. Those who will be translated without seeing death represent a group of people who are the godliest people who ever live on this earth through the grace of Jesus Christ. Enoch, up to this time, is the person, along with Elijah, to go up to heaven and to experience this. And so I want to suggest to you that Enoch, up to this time, is the closest person that I can think of, the closest person that is God-like, to godliness. If this is the case, and Jesus experienced a certain kind of persecution, I want to suggest to you that Enoch was probably the second person to experience the most persecution on earth. Why? Because his faith was so strong that it translated him to heaven And we haven't done that yet. So, Enoch, in his experience, I could imagine that people made fun of his clothing. People made fun of him because he lived in some weird place and he separated himself from people. And what motivated Enoch to continue to experience that was faith. Enoch knew that, although my family makes fun of me for the way I eat, sleep, dress, behave. God will reward me. I know that although I live in a situation and in this world, I get in a car accident and I can't move and I'm paralyzed for the rest of my life, I know that God is. I know that although I have to sacrifice my education, I have to sacrifice something in my life, I know that He is the rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Enoch experienced the faith that motivated him to not focus on the things of this earth, but to focus on God, that He was, and that He is the reward of them who diligently seek Him. And before I forget, faith, biblical faith requires two things, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. It it requires, first of all, to know that God is, and to know that He is the rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. First of all, you must believe that God is. And secondly, you must believe that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Faith requires, first of all, ability, and second of all, character. Biblical faith. You see, my mom and my dad are here this morning. They're sitting third row. My mom loves me very, very much. I know that. So does my dad. But there's one problem with my mom. And that is the reason why I can't have faith in my mom. You see, although my mom has the character, she loves me. I know she loves me unconditionally. As a matter of fact, since we're in California, I'll tell this story. You know, we're we're known in California for having earthquakes. And I remember when I was in elementary school, I'd wake up and my mom was on top of me trying to protect me from an earthquake in the middle of the night that I never even felt. And I know my mom loves me. I can trust my mom's character. I can trust her love for me. But I can't have faith in her because if a stronger person comes along trying to kill me, he can also beat my mom up. My mom does not have the ability. She doesn't have the power. And now you know those bullies in school. Everyone went through those experiences with bullies. Bullies have the power. They have the power to rescue you from any circumstance, any fight that you, have, that you have to go through in school. But the problem with bullies is that they don't have the character. They don't love you. One day they might protect you. Another day they'll turn against you. But God, the reason why we can exercise faith in God is because God has the ability, He is. And He is also the rewarder. In other words, He loves you enough to protect you and to know what is best for you. This, my friends, is the most important aspect of faith. Because when you go through trying circumstances, that is when you, it's easier for us to doubt that God either exists and is able or that He loves us. But the Bible says that he that cometh to God must believe in order to have faith. That he is. That he exists. That he is able. And that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Now, with that said, I want to suggest to you that in order for us to finish the race, in order for us to experience the dunamis power of God, in order for us to finish the race, we must have biblical faith. We must have biblical faith. And biblical faith is the faith of Jesus and not faith in Jesus alone. The Bible talks a lot about faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22 says, "...even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe..." For there is no difference. Galatians 2:16 says, "Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ." Galatians 3:22 says, "But the Scripture hath concluded all, but the Scripture had concluded, all are under sin." that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Uh, Philippians 3.9 says, And be found not in Him having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. And so when the Bible talks about the just shall live by faith, the Bible is meaning that the just shall live by the faith of Jesus. If you want to finish the race and if you want to run the race of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, you cannot simply run that race by faith, you must run that that race by the faith of Jesus. There is a difference In other words, the same exact faith that Jesus used while he was on this earth is the same faith that you and I need to finish the race. It is impossible. It is impossible to finish the race without, not faith, but without the faith of Jesus Christ. What is faith? What is faith? Let's look at that now. Turn with me and we've looked at this passage three times already. I counted. We've looked at this passage three times since the beginning of these meetings and this is actually the topic that I want to share with you. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is perhaps one of the clearest books that gives us a definition of what faith really is. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible talks about God actively creating. Genesis chapter 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, he comes back. Is this my microphone? No. Genesis chapter 2 also continues on talking about the story of creation and up to Genesis chapter 2 God is actively creating in Genesis chapter 3 though friends we find something different we find man the first thing that man creates he makes fig leaves uh, he makes a dress of fig leaves and he puts it on himself and herself and that creation is an attempt to cover up our own unrighteousness Now, we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, the last verse. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Then Genesis 3 begins, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit, which is in, but of, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Then verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now, God, when God created man and woman, when God created man and woman, He made them in His image, isn't that right? He made them in His image, and so when the Bible says that the tree was to produce fruit after its own kind, and the animals were were to produce animals after their own kind, God said, "Now let me create man after My own kind." Man, Adam and Eve, let me. uh, Adam and Eve, although they had the freedom, although they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. That freedom was surrendered to Jesus Christ. How do we know this? Man lived exactly according to what God wanted, man did exactly according to what God wanted him to do. Isn't that right? He named the animals the names that God would have him name, name them. He named the trees, he named the apple, apple, and that is the same name that God would have given that fruit. Adam had surrendered his mind to the control of Jesus Christ. There was only one mind that existed in the Garden of Eden, and that was the mind of God. Man had surrendered the control of his mind to Jesus Christ. But in Genesis chapter 2, there is a new mind that is introduced. A mind that is contrary to the mind of Christ. And so now, man has a decision to make. Will I continue... Following, Surrendering my mind to Christ or will, I, or will I surrender my mind to Satan? And let me tell you something, friends. Our mind is controlled by one of two powers. God or Satan. Don't believe this foolishness that I can control my own mind. No, no, no. Our mind is controlled by one of two powers and that is the power of God or the power of Satan. Two powers. You choose which power will control your mind but your mind will be controlled. Adam had his mind controlled by God in Genesis chapter three. His mind, uh, a, a new mind, is introduced, and this is what the serpent says: "Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." First of all, the serpent approaches the woman, and he says that you will not die, but It says that in a day, it says in in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. Implication, Eve, your eyes are closed. Eve, your eyes are closed. The first reason why Eve fell was because she had a desire to be open-minded. Eve had a a desire to be open-minded. Friends, let me tell you something. Don't believe any of this foolishness that people are feeding us today that we need to be open-minded Christians. Yeah, you're open-minded if the Bible talks about it. But the reason why we're in this mess today is because someone had the desire to be open-minded. Eve had a desire to be open-minded. The other thing that Satan is telling Eve here, in this brief conversation. He says, For God does know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. In other words, Satan is saying to Eve, Eve, God, if you partake of this fruit, not only will your mind be open, but the reason why your mind is closed now is simply because God deliberately has made it so. In other words, Satan here is making a direct judgment and accusation upon the character of God. And that is that God, a God of love, would withdraw, would withhold from his people something that is good. And so what Satan is saying to Eve is, he's saying, listen, not only are you, not only are you closed-minded, but the reason why you're closed-minded is because God has, because God wants you to be that way. And then he says, your eyes will be opened. And you shall be as God's knowing good from evil. The other, the other, the other accusation that Satan is making here is he's saying that Eve has the ability within herself to be God. What does God do? How can she be God? The understanding of good and evil. Friends, that is something that we buy into today. Don't you hear a lot of times people saying that for me, this is bad. For me, this is good. Eve suggests, I mean, Satan suggests to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 that she can of her own self understand what is good and what is evil. That is something that only God can do according to Genesis chapter 3. She says, you will be as God. What does God do? He knows good from evil. And friends, let me stop at this point to say that God's plan for man was never to know good and evil. Knowing good and evil does not make you more intelligent and does not make you more well-rounded. God's design for man and for woman was to know good only. And here, Eve is being tempted to believe that she needs to know good and evil. And in so doing, she's saying that Satan is saying to Eve that she has the ability to be God. Now, the natural result of that is found in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. In and of itself, was it wrong for Eve to eat of that fruit? Yes or no? Was there some... I mean, there was no poison in the fruit. There was no poison in the fruit that would kill Eve. She wasn't eating poison. I'm sure the fruit tasted pretty good. But was it wrong for Eve to partake of that fruit, yes or no? How many of you say yes? How many of you say no? No one says no. Why was it wrong for Eve to partake of that fruit? because God told her not to That's correct. You see Eve up to this time was functioning her mind was controlled by God and so she was functioning under heaven's reality. She was able to see things through the eyes of heaven. But at this point when she was deceived and when she bought into into this philosophy of Satan, she saw that the fruit was good for food. The key word there is, there's two key words. First of all is when. There came a time when she believed it and after, as soon as she accepted Satan's philosophy. It was only natural that she would then see that the fruit was good for food. The second thing is saw. You see, Eve did not sin rebelliously. Eve sinned because she was deceived. Eve actually saw and believed that the fruit was good for food. And there was nothing, and, and that fruit was good for food. Apples or whatever that kind of fruit was, it was good for food. But the problem with this situation is that Eve is no longer functioning under heaven's reality, she is now functioning under earthly reality. And the earthly reality does not know how to evaluate right and wrong because it evaluates based on sight, based on what you can see, what you can hear, what you can touch, what is physical. And Eve is now functioning on a physical reality where she says, there's nothing poisonous with this fruit. There's nothing wrong with this fruit that will harm my health. And because of that, this fruit is good for food. As a result, once she saw that the fruit was good for food, it is only natural that Eve would partake of that fruit. When Eve saw saw that the fruit was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes physical and that it was a tree to be desired physical and that it was it was a, a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband. The bottom line is this. Eve at this point was functioning under Satan's reality, which is a reality that functions on the physical level. A reality that is contrary to the reality of heaven. I'll pause at this moment to say that heaven's reality is a reality of faith. Heaven's reality is a reality of faith. You see, there was nothing physically wrong with the fruit. But God had spoken against that fruit. And He said, don't touch it, don't, don't eat it, because on the day that you eat it, you're going to surely die. As a result of that, as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, you and I function now under a physical reality. It is natural for you and I to look at things from a physical reality's perspective. And it is only through the eyes of faith that you and I can tap into a heavenly reality. Looking at things the way God sees them. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 explains people who understood heaven's reality. And therefore, we're able to exercise faith. The person I want to focus on today is Moses. So look with me, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Now, my mom lives here in California... I left home when I was 16. Went to academy. I've never been I've never been back home to live. I've only been back to visit. And so I've had to go to different places where I've needed mother. I, I've needed a new mother. I shouldn't say a new mother. I've needed a mother substitute. I remember when I went to—I remember when I went to academy. I went to academy in Arkansas, Washita Hills Academy, one of the best academies in the world. I went to Washington Hills Academy and the principal there, Mrs. Clark, she became my mother. She would let me come to her house during breaks. She, uh, she would feed me some food whenever I was doing bad in my academics. She would call me up and make sure that I stayed on track. She was a mother. She was a mother to you, right Jason? Jason wouldn't be here if it was for Mrs. Clark being his mother. She was a mother. Pharaoh... The Pharaoh's daughter was that to Moses. I mean, the Pharaoh's daughter saved Moses' life. She brought Moses up, she fed him, she put clothes on his back. If anyone were to deserve that name of being called Moses' mother, it would be Pharaoh. Isn't that right? It would be Pharaoh's daughter. If anyone deserved the title of mother, Moses' mother, I'm talking about besides his real mother, it would be pharaoh's daughter. She clothed him, she fed him. From a physical reality, it was even rude. It would be rude for me to say, Mrs. Clark, no. I refuse to be associated with you in that way. It would be rude. But Moses did not care about that. Because he understood that in being called the pharaoh's daughter, he was being called the next pharaoh. And he knew that in being called the pharaoh, he was... He was assigning himself to a certain theological system that was not biblical and acceptable to God. And so because of that, even though it was unacceptable unacceptable in society's eyes, Moses saw through the eyes of faith and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. He continues on and it says, Hebrews chapter 11, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to, enjoy the, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, no one in their right mental health, no one in their right mental health would choose to suffer affliction. You see, the, the key word here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 is Choosing. Moses, in other words, had a choice to suffer affliction or he had a choice not to suffer affliction. When you and I suffer affliction, we don't, we don't suffer because we choose to. It is, not, it is not acceptable by society. You're not in a right state of mind if you choose to suffer, to suffer affliction. But Moses had a choice and he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now although the title the people of God sounds very godly the people weren't you know I said that no one in the right mind would choose to suffer affliction usually but if they do you would choose to suffer affliction with someone who would help you during that, during that time of affliction isn't that, isn't that right? I remember I made a decision one time to suffer affliction I went to the Philippines on a missionary trip and I was suffering affliction because I, was, I wasn't sleeping in a comfortable bed there was a lot of cockroaches um, where we were staying um, and and we had to walk everywhere. So I chose to suffer affliction. But I made sure that the person I was suffering affliction with would be a friend who would encourage me when I was down. Would be a friend who would help me out when I was having a difficult time. You choose, if you, if you are crazy enough to suffer affliction, you are going to suffer affliction with people who will help you. But Moses chose Moses chose to suffer affliction with a group of people who would make his affliction more difficult. Moses chose to suffer affliction with a group of people who, instead of helping him, would make his work harder. Moses suffered affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse twenty six it's another mind boggling thing that Moses did esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures uh, in Egypt. Moses esteemed, in other words, Moses placed a higher value. And friends, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Moses, Moses living a fake life here. Moses didn't put up a front and said, by the grace of God, I'm suffering, brother, and I'm happy. No. No, this is actually this is an experience that Moses genuinely went through. He chose, he esteemed, he placed higher value upon the reproach of Jesus Christ than upon the riches in Egypt. Egypt up to that time had many riches. Riches. Yet Moses, through the eyes of faith. Understood heaven's reality and he knew that the reproach of Christ would bring rewards far greater than the treasures in Egypt. Why? Because Moses understood that God was and that he was the rewarder of them who diligently sought him. Moses understood that. He saw things through the eyes of faith and therefore Moses esteemed the reproach of Jesus Christ higher than the pleasures of and the treasures that were in Egypt. Why did he do this? Moses, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward, which is talked about in Hebrews chapter 10. By faith, he forsook Egypt, he forsook the riches, he forsook the Pharaoh's daughter fearing not fearing the wrath of the king not caring about what was going to happen with his life for he endured as seeing him who is what? invisible you see friends we live two realities the visible and the invisible reality the visible reality looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sees a fruit the invisible reality sees a tree which will test your character and your loyalty to Jesus Christ. The visible reality will see the riches in Egypt, the millions of dollars, the title, the ability to receive the highest education. But the invisible reality will look at the reproach of Jesus Christ. Being an uneducated person, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying that education is, is bad or that we are all to be uneducated. But the truth is that the invisible reality sees the reproach of Jesus Christ greater riches, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How can we experience this? Through understanding and believing in the invisible reality. You see, the truth of the matter is, friends, that we do not have faith because we don't see the invisible things. When we look at people right now, you see, you look around, you see people dressed in nice suits, dressed in nice dresses, but you don't understand... It is hard for us to understand that there is a battle going on in their mind and that at any moment they will make a choice for or against Jesus Christ. We don't see that. It's invisible. By faith, Moses understood this and he was able to put up with the people of God because he knew that their salvation was at stake. By faith, Moses forsook those riches because he knew that he had far greater riches in heaven. By faith, Enoch, Was able to endure tribulation, was able to endure ridicule, was able to endure what Jesus Christ endured because he saw the invisible. Heaven was in his mind. He lived and walked as if he already lived and walked in heaven. And because of that, because he lived in an invisible reality, Jesus Christ took him to heaven. By faith, Moses did the same thing. Moses did not care about society. Moses did not care about how he looked in front of other people. Moses did not care about what other people thought about him. He cared about what Jesus Christ thought about him. And because of that, because of that invisible faith, because he saw him who was, him who is and was invisible, Moses was able, the Bible says, to endure. Friends, the race that we are to run, the race that we are to run, is a race that requires endurance. There's many different kinds of races. 100 meter dash requires speed. Marathon, however, requires endurance. Let's look now at Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That word patience means endurance. Here is the patience, the endurance of the, of the saints. It is the same patience, the same endurance that Moses had when he ran the race. It is the same patience, the same endurance that Enoch had as he waited for his reward from heaven. It is the same patience, the same endurance that Joseph had unto death, that even as he lied upon his deathbed, he said, No, the Lord would surely visit you. Carry up my bones. I am not a resident. I am not a citizen of Egypt. It is an endurance that carried Abel to the point of death. And it is an endurance, a patience, that carried Jesus Christ to the death of the cross. But friends, the only way The only way you and I can tap into the invisible reality is found here in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. First of all, we must run the race. The race is a race of faith. That race of faith requires patience and endurance. That endurance you cannot receive, but by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 does not end in verse 40. Because what is happening here is Paul is beginning to share examples and he says, listen, I don't even have enough time. You know how when you start writing a letter or sometimes you start writing a sermon and you get tired, uh, you preachers, you get tired And so at the end, instead of, at first you're typing out word for word what you're going to say, but at the end you just start writing out bullets. You know? And it's similar to what is happening here with Paul. He's saying, I don't have enough time to tell you about Gideon. I don't have enough to tell you about all the other men and women of faith. I just don't have enough time. Let me tell you about Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, these men and women, the reason why, friends, ask yourself the question, why in the world? Paul sits there and he goes 40 verses talking about Abel. Abel had faith. Enoch had faith. Joseph, Abraham, they had faith. And then the most logical thing for me to do if I'm, if I'm systematically sharing with you something... The most logical thing to do in verse 12 would have been, in chapter 12 would have been, wherefore seeing that we are compassed about with so great a, a, a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the, the, the sin and the, the, that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto the cloud of witnesses. But he says no, looking unto Jesus. Why Jesus and not the witnesses? Because those witnesses, those witnesses had the faith of Jesus. They didn't have their own faith, which was by the law. They were found in the faith, in the righteousness which is by faith, by the faith of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is trying to tell us here is, listen, if you want to run the race like Enoch ran, with patience, look to Jesus. That's how Enoch did it. If you want to to run the race like Abel did, look to Jesus. That's how he did it. If you want to run the race like Moses did, don't look to Moses, look to Jesus. That's how Moses did it looking unto Jesus, why He is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, you are not the author and the finisher of your faith. Because if you are, you're not going to make it. But Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, and that is why we don't need our faith, we need the faith of Jesus. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured patience endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God I'm finishing up now verse 3 for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners again endured that, con- that endured such contradictions against sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in what? in your minds you see the race the race is a race that is ran in our minds when you're running a marathon I, know I, hate, I hate running but my fiance Judy she's a, she's a runner she's a, she loves to run marathons she messed up her knee doing it she loves to run marathons I hate marathons one time we were running together I haven't ran a mile since I was in 6th grade I know that's something Steve doesn't want to hear and we went exercising I started running on the treadmill and I looked at the thing you know how it tells you how much time you have left before you run a mile I started speeding that thing up how I just wanted to get this thing over with and I was enduring because I was thinking I just have a quarter of a mile left it's already at point .9 just one more I was concentrating on that, focusing on, on my... I was looking to that clock, to that timer. And I did it. As soon as I did it, I said, let me see if I can do two miles. But my mind wasn't that strong. I started focusing on the pain on my legs. I started focusing on the pain in my side. And I stopped. I said, let me stop. Judy, Judy finished her mile. We stopped. Went outside. And I laid down on the ground. I was about to die. I said, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And I won't tell you the rest of the story. You can talk to Judy about that. we got an argument. No person, no runner, no experienced runner, running a marathon will focus on the pain in his legs because he will go weary and faint. No marathon runner will focus on the pain in his side because he will go weary and faint. And friends, if you want to endure, if you want to finish the race, you must look unto Jesus.